what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across the table, the recording table, good to have us back in person. We went yes. a couple times virtual here, but uh, yeah. or at least the distance remote recording, but it's always nice to have it right here. Back in our, uh, our our mesh studio recording facility is Christopher Fry. Chris, how are you doing? I am doing well. Um, I'm looking forward to the fact, I guess, second episode in a row that we get to not worry about trying to find new stories or come up with recommendations. We're just, we've got two films. So that's always cool. Well, like I said last time, it, this is we're kind of in our season here where there's just a lot of movies being released. That are the kind of movies that we like to talk about and review and share sure. and get some attention for. This week is no exception. We are going to be reviewing two different films, uh, recent releases that we would like to discuss and share our thoughts with you on. First up is going to be the film, latest film by writer-director Taika Waititi. It is called Next Goal Wins, starring Michael Fassbender. Then we'll be moving on to our second film, which is the movie Dumb Money, which is directed by Craig Gillespie and starring Paul Dano, among many others as well. So those are going to be the two films we'll be reviewing for you. Um, so yeah, as always, Chris, we, uh, we we have a lot to talk about. So why don't we go ahead and just get on into it? Chris and I, by the way, are with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. We are, I was remiss in not mentioning that during a proper introduction at the beginning. Sorry, Chris, I'm just so excited. We have so many movies to talk about this month. And yeah, we're back in the studio. It's just things are good. So I'm sorry. I got excited. I didn't give the proper introduction. I should have. Um, Anyway, hope you can forgive me. And we'll go ahead and get right into our first review. It is the film Next Goal Wins. It's known as the beautiful game. But let's face it. It's a complicated game. Guys, soccer, as you like to call it, is like life. Next season, I think we have a real shot. I'm sorry, uh, Thomas. Did nobody tell you? You're, you're fired. Good news is, you got two options. Option one, that's where you're currently at. Or, American Samoa. Are you serious? If you're all alone, Oscar-winning writer, actor and director, Taika Waititi, has dabbled in both independent cinema with Boy and Hunt for the Wilder People, as well as big-budget blockbusters with MCU entries like Thor Ragnarok and Thor Love and Thunder. With his latest film, Next Goal Wins, Waitita tells the, based on a true story, tale of the American Samoa soccer team who suffered a 31 to nothing defeat in a World Cup match. Enter Dutch coach Thomas Rongen, played by Michael Fassbender, who takes on the task of trying to turn the team of perennial losers into winners. Alan, what was your experience with Watiti's first foray into the based on a true story area of cinema? Hmm. Um, I, I kind of want to defer my opinion a little bit because I, okay. I kind of want to hear yours. Um, <laughs> I will go ahead and say a few things to set up my, my opinion okay. before I jump over to you. Let me just kind of sure. set up some things. So you're not going to deflect offhand. You will. <laughs> you're not going to plead um, the fifth. Okay. This, this movie is 
Okay, before I saw the film, this this movie I feel like is catered made to me as an audience. I have hmm. several elements of this film that I was really that on paper looked really really good to me. There's no talking animals. No, there's not. That's the one. That's the one down thing it has. Okay. That's the one negative it has on its mark. But Michael Fassbender, I really like Michael Fassbender. I'm generally happy to see him in anything he's in. Okay. And he has been absent for a little while off the, 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 the film scene. We talked about him in the killer, mm-hmm. the Netflix film, but that came out actually, I think after this film did. So they right. both came out about the same time before these two films, we hadn't really seen him in much. So excited for Michael Fassbender. I really like Taika Waititi as long as he's not directing a Marvel movie. Um, <laughs> I like everything else he does. Okay. I mean, Thor Ragnarok was good and I know it, you like it a lot more than I do, but I think we both were pretty down on love and thunder. Right. But I love what we do in the shadows, the original film. I love hunt for the wilder people. I like what the work that he did on TV with both the, what we do in the shadows. And I like what he's done in uh, this flag means death. Several other TV shows. Reservation he's pro- dogs. Yep. Several other shows he's produced or helped direct or something else. So like, I like, I like his work and I like the idea of a quirky, funny but also i like a good sports movie i like a good formulaic sports movie to me <laughs> yes sports movies you know what to expect you know uh, if they're played uh, played to the standard you know how they're going to go story-wise it's all about the telling of the story like how do you tell this story of victory or coming up against great odds and all so all those factors chris on paper make me really anxious and excited to see this film okay then I started hearing some early reviews from people, uh, not trying to read reviews or listen to reviews, but I can't help it if I see star ratings that pop sure. up on Letterboxd or whatever. Right. And my uh, my enthusiasm dissipated pretty, pretty fast. So here we are now. I finally got a chance to catch up with this film, and I have opinions, but like I said, I'd like to hold them off. I want to hear from you first. What what did you think of Next Goal, Next Goal Wins? So... It's interesting because it's hard to actually judge this film because we've been kind of in blockbuster mode with Taika Waititi. And this is shifting back to his, that's why I kind of mentioned the intro, um, Hunt for Wilder People or something like Boy, which I don't know if you've seen. I never saw Boy. Um, I've recommended it on the podcast and I think we can still find it streaming somewhere. But it's it's much more of the DIY comedy taken from a certain perspective. And Boy actually deals a lot with his seemingly kind of maybe semi-autobiographical about Taika Waititi himself, maybe. Um, So it's, and his type of humor is kind of like, to me, is a little bit like Monty Python. You either kind of get on the wavelength with it, Mm -hmm. or you think it's just stupid and silly and it really irritates you. Um, And I can, I can see this. It doesn't, you know, I love Monty Python, so that doesn't happen to me, but I can see people's complaint with it. They just think, Oh, that's just dumb. Next Goal Wins kind of returns to that kind of vibe. And for me, I I liked it. Now, is it my favorite of his films? No. Do I like it better than Love and Thunder? Yes. And I think you can get on the wavelength is kind of established right off the bat. Um, There's a (laughs) Waititi makes kind of a cameo appearance of sorts (laughs) as kind of a bookending person kind of talking directly to the camera, kind of establishing, okay, here's the deal. And (laughs) he kind of, you know, tells a little bit of history about the team going 31 to nothing. And (laughs) he kind of like jokes about like, you know, oh, this is going to be the, you know, he kind of makes jokes and kind of acknowledges like 
that he's made embellishments to the story. So mm-hmm. like, no, this it's based on a true story, but he is going to have fun with it. He's going to kind of make it his own. And I, I, I just, I was like, okay, cool. Now the movie did have little funny moments here and there that I liked. Um, could it have been funnier? Yes. I don't typically go in for sports movies mm-hmm. like, like you do. That's not just my, it's not my a genre that I'm particularly interested in. Um, especially when you assume that the reason they're telling this story is because there's a success, you know, it's like, okay, here's this team that struggled and look at what they do. And they kind of, so it's like, you already kind of know the ending because otherwise, why would they bother making a movie of it? Um, I will say that this one kind of turns that on its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I will say, given the joking intro that he does to the film, actually by the end of the film, and when they do some, you know, typical, not biopic, but typical type thing when it's based on a true story where they put mm-hmm. things on screen and you see like, okay, here are some of the real people. I was actually surprised that as much of it seemed to be factual as it was. Specifically, there's one thing that you and I both talked about. You you mentioned it. You said your, your commentary was you like Taika Waititi. You like how he tries to bring different voices like with reservation dogs or mm-hmm. with hunt for the wilder people like that New Zealand, Australia type thing. He's just, and uh, our I, flag, our flag means death where he yeah. tries to bring in different, like yeah. a way of thinking about pirates differently. I, I didn't say that, but that sounds awesome. Like something I should have said. So thank you for that. <laughs> so I think with this film, there's, there's a character where when I saw it, I was like, Oh, Okay. Taika Waititi is doing his thing with comedy. Mm-hmm. Cool. He's doing a thing that's telling him a smaller story, more of like a New Zealand, Australia. In this case, it's mm-hmm. American Samoa, but a diverse story. Okay, cool. Oh, and then he's, and I thought to myself, okay, that's cool. But it struck me as like, yeah, that's probably like a token thing that was created. And nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that really, like at the end of the film, my, it kind of, my opinion of the film kind of raised up a little bit. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, Okay. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's important that he's trying to tell these type stories because otherwise they don't get exi- they they don't exist. And yeah. more and more of them are being told by different people as well. But I was just like, okay. Yeah. So I think that actually made me appreciate it more than just a, you know, lukewarm recommendation or a lukewarm feeling towards it. Yeah. So, okay. okay. Now I've kind of rambled No, no, on a it's good. Bit, so so. you're on, you're positive on the thing. I am overall okay. positive on it. Yes. I, I am too. Okay. I actually really had a good time with this film. Okay, good. Um, I'm a little saddened by all the negative pushback it's getting. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. It's, it's got some major issues and I got to say, unfortunately, I think the biggest issue with the film, it's not Michael Fassbender as an actor. No, no, no. no, Hold on. Hold on. It's not him as an actor. (laughs) I think his character is poorly written in this film. And that I felt like there were probably three different versions of his character at play in this movie. And there were no, there were no logical explanations for the transition from character one to character two to character three. I felt like Fassbender might've been given three different versions of the script during the shooting of a character to play. And like, that's who I'm going to play. And there was no logic as to why this character changed, why he evolved. You Get a little understanding towards the end of the film with the reveal, but it's not enough for me to feel like that there was any cohesive storytelling with this main character. I didn't know who he was. I mean, 
I get a sense of him in the first 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, I got it. I know who this guy is. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, I don't. No, no, no. Now there's something different about him. Now he's being played completely different. Now he's being played a completely different way later in the film. Now he's back to version number one for maybe five minutes. Then he's back to version three for a little bit. It was it was disjointed, I felt like the performance was. And I like seeing Fassbender do lighter work like this. <laughs> and I do think he was a good choice for this role. I just wish the role had been better written. Okay. A more consistent voice to this character because I do feel like it was kind of all over the place with him. And that's my biggest beef with the film is that, look, I feel like every other character in the film is almost written as a surrogate character for Taika Waititi. I think, mm. I think the mannerisms, the speech, the die, everything is meant to say it's kind of like, even like the guy who's the manager, who's who kind of is the runs the football club in, yeah. That's sure. basically Waititi, okay? The way he talks, his mannerisms, his everything, his explaining of things, it's Waititi. It's just he needed a channel vessel in the film as a person to do that. So, yeah, it's a little generic from that standpoint. We don't really learn tons about a lot of the other players. We don't really get any connection to them. I don't feel that same connection you get with some really good sports movies of I know who these characters are and I know what's driving them. I didn't get any of that with this film. However, this film was still fun and I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I did laugh quite a bit. There were actually three or four scenes. I did find terribly, terribly funny. And um, I think it's taking a sports movie, a traditional sports movie based on a true story, adding just enough Watiti quirk to it to make mm-hmm. it different and unique. I do like the subversion of how they share the final uh, dramatic moment of the film, you know, sport, the sports side of it, the game. Sure. They do something different with it, which I liked because I was just automatically assuming, okay, well, this is going to end just like every other uh, sports movie does. And we'll see how he pulls it off. Turns out he subverted it a little bit. He changed the storytelling mechanism for it. And I liked it. It made it more interesting to me. So I did have a good time with this. I did like it quite a bit. I know some people are saying that Fassbender was miscast. I don't think Mm. he was. I think he was the right person to play this. I just wish his character had been better developed because we really have to base so much of the film on living through his experiences with this whole story. And I felt like I just didn't feel like I knew who his character was for a good part of the film. And that's, that made it tough to really embrace this film at a high level, but Overall, I, I I still think it was really fun and I had a good time with it. So yeah, I'm it mine is a positive review for sure. Um just not a if they had fixed the main character situation for me, I think we could have had a really great film. As it is, it's a good fun film that I enjoyed, but I can't go beyond that. So back to you, Chris. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. And um I think it didn't register with me as much as it did with you because I'm so averse to the sports movie genre anyway. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a play, like you mentioned, I really enjoyed Fassbender and I don't think I've ever seen him do comedy. Definitely not. Definitely not more uh, broad comedy like this movie is, you know, I mean, he, there's physical comedy involved. There's uh, one liners. Yeah. It's never been to that extent. And so that was so much fun for me. And so I, I enjoyed it. And I think I will say that, you know, you're pointing it out and I can say, yeah, his character maybe is a little rough as far as how he goes from one stage or another stage. But here again, um, something that appealed to me, 
there when he the opening kind of the opening moments of the film, I think it's shown in the trailer. Mm-hmm. He's at kind of a a meeting about his work situation and they have a uh, overhead projector and they're putting up like, <laughs> okay, you basically been fired and this is what's happening. We're kind of, it's a review board type yeah. situation and they have an overhead projector and they lead him through the station, the, the stages of grief <laughs> and like, you know, accept it. And like they keep that on putting on Awesome. And so that kind of thing, it's like, yeah. So that's the thing. That's kind of how his character is in this movie. He kind of bebops all over the place. It's not a very clean line. Yeah. And I, to me, it didn't bother me because I, I, it, it didn't bother me. And I well, can see like in a, in a more polished film or, you know, I could say I love Taika Waititi, but I could say maybe, maybe his direction isn't that strong, strong. So maybe that's what it is, is he didn't kind of. Well, it could have been. Yeah. However it is that, that causes character to not be, I, I felt like there were scenes missing or there were transition moments that we missed on the character development side. I mean, and also just who this guy is is in general. I actually had to read up about this coach afterwards, like the real story just to kind of really understand. Okay. Well, granted a lot of it's a lot of this character's personality is fabricated. I mean, the guy supposedly was kind of known for being an abrasive coach. And that's what kind of put him down a path. But the way in the film portrays him, um, as the coach here, it's one minute he's portrayed as a coach who's incompetent. Then vacillating between that and a really, really good coach who's got anger issues. And that's why people push him aside. Mm-hmm. Then he's he's inspiring one minute and he's dismissive another. And it's like, I get it. You want to have character development. I'm all for <laughs> seeing somebody develop. But right. it's just like we were just ping-ponging all over the place during the movie. I didn't feel like there was anything moving him into any kind of development role at all. So that's the thing for me. Is it's just I never really got a sense of who he was. Um I love the opening scenes. I love the scene in the, the, the boardroom or meeting room where he got fired. I thought it was great. And I did love that five stages of grief, which I thought were, was brilliantly done. <laughs> sure. Um, there are some montages and scenes of the team, uh, how poor they were as a, as a soccer team that I thought were really entertaining and fun and done. You know, yes. Very typical. Like you would see in a underdog sports movie, but still had a lot of fun to it. Um, yeah, there were other moments too. I thought were just really, really well done. The, the dealing with the, I guess, quote star player yeah, and kind of the, the trials and tribulations she's going through and her own, uh, dealing with her own identity issues right. and how that's translating to the team. I thought, I thought the way they handled the relationship with the coach and her were really good. I did too. I mean, it was confrontive and abrasive at one point, but you understand, you understand why, because you understand where the coach is, his background and his mentality at that time. Sure. You do see that change and you do see a, 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 I think a fairly positive relationship grow. I really enjoyed the, uh, putting the team back together montages <laughs> later in the, in the, in the, in the movie of yeah. trying to recruit some players and just the little team he assembles of people to help him go out and do this. Uh, for whatever reason, I love the little kid sidekick who he has with him that he just kind of depends on. And I don't know, it's, there's a lot of great moments in this film. Um, and enough to me, for me to give it a good recommendation. I just, I really, I just wish I knew Fassbender's character better. Yeah. And I felt like he was a, I felt like he could have been a lot more of a throughput for us for the whole film than he was. And, uh, instead I just kind of felt disjointed. I felt like, okay, well, what, what version of the character are we going to get this scene? 
Okay, we're getting the sympathetic nice one. Okay, great. Which one are we getting next? Oh, now we're getting the hothead uh, <laughs> uh, verbally abusive one. Okay. You know, it's, it was just a little, it was a little ping poggy too much for me on his character, but um, that, and I, I don't know the people of this country, never been there. If they're all meant to act and have mannerisms like Taika Waititi does as a, as a person, cool. He caught, he captured all of them. I don't feel like they do. I feel like that's a little bit of a caricature might've been laid over all the people in the film. I don't know for sure, but I, I hope, I hope he's, I hope he's doing the people of this country justice in, in kind of his depiction of them. I, I just, I don't well, know. All I can say is it made me want to go to this country. Yeah, no, I love the country. <laughs> I, I think it's great. I love the people in it. I just don't know if, again, it just, I felt like they were all kind of, he was using the same mold to make every character in this movie. The only differences is, is this one's much, much larger than this person. This person's smaller. This person's older. This person's younger, but they're basically the same person. That's kind of the way he played these characters. And I, I hope that's not a disservice to them. I hope it's not a, I don't know. I felt a little weird with it at times that hmm. there just wasn't a lot of development on any of them beyond a very, very broad stereotype of things. But um, when I think, you know, just, I guess going in, I kind of felt like that's the type of movie this it's, you know, cool runnings, but set on a soccer field. Yeah. And so I, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to get, and I knew that it was even maybe more so than Cool Runnings, even though they had John Candy and it was supposed to be funny. I, I felt like, yeah, this is jokes and a little bit of true trueness to it. But other than that, that's not the that's not what they're going for. So, yeah. it, and I, I just I'm glad that he still can make films because I feel like, if anything this was like a film for Taika Waititi. They say some mm. directors, they do did big projects and they go and do one, one for them, one for me type thing. And I feel like based on like kind of how he does stuff, I feel like this was probably one for him and I'm glad he was able to make it. And I, I found it enjoyable, but yeah, I mean, if I could see if you're actually going to it because you think it is going to be a more typical mm. sports movie or something, you're coming away like, dude, that was, yeah. that was not good. Right. <laughs> it's not a, it's not the, the stereotypical sports movie. If you're looking for that, it's not that it's not the stereotypical comedy. No, either. It's, it's, it's a blend. And I think he, I think he does a good job of blending it all. Sure. Makes it just quirky enough where it's entertaining and engaging. And it keeps up that quirk even to, to the end of the film. And um, I, I think actually it could maybe become somewhat of maybe a cult film because the more I sit here and think about it, I can think of all these little moments that make me laugh. Kind of like an anchorman type situation where, yeah, the movie's good and it has funny parts, but then the more you kind of let it sink oh, yeah. in, like I could sit here and do like a Chris Farley. Hey, Alan, do you remember that moment? Oh, that well, was I'll, good. I'll oh, throw do you remember that moment? Oh, that was really funny. I'll throw yeah. one. Probably the one that made me laugh the absolute hardest. Okay. Is in the, in the locker room oh. during a very tender, uh, emotional <laughs> moment. Yep. One of the players gets a chance to speak and give smiley. a very, yeah, smiley. smiley. And then, <laughs> yeah, the, his, the end to his speech was hysterical. Yes. And just so good. Yep. And see that, that to me, it's like, nope, that's what this yeah. film's doing. It's right. not, I mean, yes, there is some heartwarming stuff yeah. in it, but it's not about, it's not about, it's about being funny. And that's, cause I honestly clearly. thought as that scene started, I'm like, Oh, we're going down. Oh, sure. We're going to do the typical sports movie. <laughs> it's going to be this emotional speech. And then when it gets, uh, uh abrupted the way it does, it was like, Oh yeah, no, that's right. I forgot. We're in this kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. Taika Waititi's directing yeah. this. Yeah, that's, we're cool. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, okay, good. I think we're on the same page with this. I think, so. I think we Sounds had a like really it. good. T- I think yeah. we had a good time with it. Sure. I am surprised by the negative feedback on it, and I'm, I'm just. I want to dig a little deeper. Again, I haven't read any reviews or listened to any detailed reviews to see why people feel the way they do, or other critics feel this way to kind of down on this movie. But I. I had a good time with it. And I know we I said at fun. the top of the show that we're not doing any news items. However, yeah. I do want to ask you because um, this has been kind of floating around in there. Um, Taika Waititi talking about his time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and people have begun being disturbed or maybe worried about the fact that one of the things that supposedly he's working on is a Star Wars film. Yes. Um what what are your brief brief thoughts on that? So you see you've seen how he's kind of returned to a genre that's you know yeah. returned to an area of film where it's smaller independent. When he goes back to making a big budget movie, which I would assume a Star Wars movie would be, how how do you how do you feel about that? Like I I think I think the guy can do. I, I think the guy could work in any genre and with any franchise he we we need him to. Gotcha. It's just going to be how much, how much of his, are we going to get. Are we going to get something in more in lines of of the characters that we have in his his more independent smaller films, and working with actors and I think getting good performances out of things, or are we going to get let's go over the top with uh, <laughs> silliness and right. uh, you know uh, humor? I, I can't imagine the Star Wars franchise kind of going down that path. Um, so I'd be curious to see what he can do with a more straightforward science fiction drama action drama movie like a star Wars film. Um, be curious. I'm curious. I can't say I'm positive or negative on it. I'm just curious. <laughs> sure. uh, Thor 11 thunder really, really just made me believe he doesn't need to do the problem. I always have with the, the two Thor movies he did is, is sure. again, I don't feel like he knew how he wanted to play the character of Thor. Hmm. He was a little clear in Ragnarok. Thor was going to be a little dim-witted, a little kind of a secondary character to everything else going on around him. But in Love and Thunder, he tried to give Thor a kind of like, I felt like with the Fassbender coach character here, Mm. it's kind of like, okay, one minute he's a very noble, heroic character. The next minute he's kind of goofy and lunk-headed. And it's like, it's just whatever serves the scene that Waititi wants to set up, whatever whatever sets up the joke, that's who this character is going to be. Okay. That's kind of where I felt like he was with Fassbender's character here too. It's like, okay, in this scene, I need him to be this sympathetic, very strong coach. But in this next scene, I kind of need him to be a doofus or I kind of need him to be (laughs) idiot, you know, because that's what plays better for this scene. And it's like, well, that's not really a consistent character. And I think there's the same issue with Thor in those two movies as there was with the uh, Fassbender character here. So that's my issue with it. I think he, I think he uses the characters he needs to make his punchline joke or scene work. And it's not as important to have a strong character development arc for someone. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Okay. So, anyway. How that applies to Star Wars, I don't know, but uh, I'll still be anxious to see what he does. Sure, I think it, I think safe to say it'll probably be different. Yeah, I, and I hope it is. I hope it is. I hope we don't get something that looks like something that J.J. Abrams did. It just has one or two little quick little Watiti moments in it. No, I want something a little different. Give me something with a different style, a different tone or feel. 
I don't even mind if the movie is a, a little more lighthearted and can be a little more less heavy. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Star Wars movies could actually probably benefit if there was a, a one or two thrown out that were just lighter in tone and not the not having to carry this entire saga for you know decades <laughs> on its shoulders. So sure. Um, anyway, we'll see. Yeah, okay. um, we will see what happens with that if that movie even happens. I sure. mean, again, it's. Every Star Wars project seems to be you kind of roll the dice whether it's actually going to happen or not. So, right. yeah. But that is next goal win. Sounds like Chris and I were both relatively positive on it and had a good time with it. Uh, I did see some issues with with character development and with especially with the main character's role, but it was not enough to prevent me from still having a good time with this film. And I think it's a, I think it's a little surprising one that I think you know if uh, you're looking for something over the Christmas holiday, kind of a good. Family, I won't say family, but a good film that the whole family could watch and people or, or uh, you know, different uh, different age groups could watch and still enjoy. I think this is it. I think this is a good one for it. So, yeah. All right. That is Next Goal Wins. I don't think it's playing in movie theaters anymore. Uh, so it should be available online here. Maybe by Christmas time. Be kind of nice if it was for, for that. So, okay, Chris, let's go ahead and move on to our second review. It is the film Dumb Money. Yo, what up, everybody? Roaring Kitty here. I'm going to pick a stock and talk about why I think it's interesting, and that stock is GameStop. I love this guy. Retail traders have hooked into GameStop. I think they think it's a good investment. It looks like there's one guy driving all the buying. Who is this schmuck? Dumb money, man. Happy to take it. Vlogger Keith Gill, played by Paul Dano, sinks his savings into GameStop, or sorry, GameStop stock, and posts about it. Social media aids his posts in going viral, upending his life and the lives of everyone following him. As the stock tip becomes more of a movement, things get a bit out of control. Director Craig Gillespie has made many series with the real-life stories of Mike Tyson, Pamela Anderson, and Tommy Lee, and he's done a film with the character, or not character, but real-life person of uh, Tanya Harding with I, Tanya. Alan, did this telling of the GameStop stock story keep you engaged, or did you find it less successful than other efforts of Gillespie's at putting real-life events on screen? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question, because I'm pretty familiar with, I think, all of Gillespie's other works. Okay. I was a big fan of I, Tanya. I really liked that movie. Thought I thought it was too. really good. Yeah. I really liked the Pam and Tommy Lee series he did on Hulu. Okay. The miniseries I thought was also really well done. This is probably the least of those efforts for me. Okay. Um, it, it worked just enough. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm fascinated by the story. I, I am someone that I knew when this whole situation happened in the news, just like what a year and a half, two years ago. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I believe so. Yeah. Cause it, there are references to the pandemic in the film. Yeah. So, so it'd be like 2020, yeah. 2021. Right. So I remember when this was happening and I remember reading and listening to a lot of podcasts and trying to understand, okay, exactly what's happening here. I'm trying to understand the mechanics of how this happened. And I will tell you, I think the movie does a good job of telling you the mechanics of how this happened for the most part. I understood it. I followed it. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get kind of what's happening here. I see how this happened. It did add a human face to things I've been reading in the news from a couple years ago. But the problem with the film for me, the, the reason I, I just don't think it works as well as it could is 
it kind of comes down to characters again. I mean, I know these are real life people, but I feel like we're just kind of thrown into a story that's already kind of happening and already rolling. We don't really understand the stakes involved with a lot of people. I mean, we see a lot of money flowing up on the numbers on the chart. We see a lot of people talking about the money, but I don't really feel like we got any sense of why this was important and what this means. I'm being told why it's important and what it means, but I'm not being shown or have any feeling to it. You know, I, I see what are supposed to be, you know, quote, the good guys in the film, the people who are banking on GameStop and they're putting their personal money into a stock because they're kind of want to stick it to Wall Street and say, no, you can't make this company go out of business. You can't push this out. We're going to fight for it. We're going to put money into it. And we want, and, and then they start making money because of that, because of the number of people and all the influence that this blogger had kind of building up enthusiasm for it. But all of these people are treated in very, very short vignettes, which I understand there's a lot of people you're covering in this film. There's a lot of viewpoints you want to carry. You can't really develop each character a lot and you can't really give a tons of their backstory. But even like the main character, Keith Gill, I felt like it's, we're kind of just thrown in. I don't really get a sense of why any of this was important to him or why he did it so important strongly like he did until like maybe the very end of the film when he gives a short testimony in front of Congress. Right. At that point, I'm like, oh, well, that that might have been some good insight to have about this character <laughs> an hour and a half ago because I might sure. have felt a little bit more about this movie. So anyway, I think it does a serviceable job of explaining the situation. It does absolutely paint the good guy, bad guy strokes pretty, oh, yeah. pretty, pretty broad, thick, yeah. pretty thick. I mean, when the bad guys, you, the scenes you see them and they're shipping, sipping champagne and playing tennis outside. Yeah. Okay. You know how they're being painted in the, in the movie right away. Um, and I never think that's fair. I think there's obviously some nuance in there to kind of share, but we don't really get the nuance. I think the character that was interesting for me is Seth Rogen's character is Gabe Plotkin, who is painted as an enemy, but yet it's also when I hear more about his story and involvement, I'm like, well, and I kind of feel a little bad for the guy. Cause I do think this is someone who kind of worked really hard to get where he is and tried to do good for business. I think there were some outside pressures and other people involved with him that kind of were more dangerous to the situation than he was. But the film is just pretty clearly saying, Nope, there's a line here. Everybody on this side is bad. Everybody on this side is greedy and all this. And then everybody on this side are heroes and people trying to fight for the good. Mm. I think it's a little, I don't think it's quite that black and white, but anyway, uh, done money. It's, it's fine. I I think it gets the (laughs) job done, but I would have liked a little more out of it. I would have liked a little more feeling. I would like a little more understanding, a little more emotion of why people are doing the things they're doing as opposed to just explaining how it's happening. Cause I got a pretty good, clear picture of that from the film. So, all right, I rambled, Chris. Sorry. What's your thoughts on this film? Well, interestingly enough, it's kind of, I think we're roughly feel the same way about the film overall. It's kind of a okay film, but my reasons for not appreciating it more, not getting more out of it were, it seems like, <laughs> and it's maybe, I, I know what the stock market is, but mm-hmm. outside of that, I don't really know a lot about it. Um, I remember, like you were saying, I remember when this was happening, my son knew about, he's the one who told me about it. Hmm. He's like, Hey dad, you know, did you know games? I was like, do what? And like, so he kind of told me about it. And then I started hearing about it in the news. I'm like, Oh, this is real. Um, 
I guess I kind of wanted, I thought, you know, there were some funny moments in the film and it was entertaining to me, but I was hoping for a little bit of kind of a little bit of education as Hmm. well. And I don't feel like I came kind of like a big short type thing where you remember that film talked about the big short did a really good job of that. The big short used um, the real estate cry and what they did with the real estate bubble and how, how that affected things. And I felt like I came away with it like, Oh, you know, got you. Okay. And so with this, I understand, you know, there's one side, the little people, the dumb, which if one thing I will say to this movie, I learned where the title came from Mm -hmm. dumb money the retail investors, the dumb money, they were trying to support GameStop against what they felt like were these big hedge fund people tearing it down. Okay, that I got, but I knew that before I went in. My question was, and I kind of, I watched this with my wife and she was the same way afterwards. The whole concept of shorting, I yeah. wish I understood more. Yeah, I'll admit that was, was like, they were not good on that. Like I don't I don't I mean I understand they say we're shorting stuff. Okay, but what does that mean? Yeah, and that really was the big I mean, if you don't understand that concept, then it's like, how does this all work? I don't yeah, it, it kind of falls apart in a way as a film, as a storytelling, because it's like, okay, well, how does how does raising the stock price and making the stock more valuable hurt the quote bad guys. <clears throat> right. Okay. And, and there again, people understand of the stock they market. Said, they it. said it was going to short. Like, right. I, I get that. Yeah. But what does Seth that mean? Rogan and why is that, why is that bad early on when they can tell that people, the re- these retail investors are putting money into it. He kind of laughs over the phone with one of the hedge people. He's like, and the guy's like, Oh, what'd you do? He's like, Oh yeah, I just shorted another six, whatever million. I don't know, whatever, however much in stock. And I'm like, yeah, but what does that mean? Me well, and also there's a there's a little bit of the disconnect again. I I understood just because I had read up and kind of got familiar with this whole concept. But watching it with somebody else in my family who was not aware, yeah, it's the same question. It's like, okay, so how is it that this one stock? And I know there's a reason for it, but we don't understand it from the film. How right. is it that by growing and inflating the price of this one company stock, all of a sudden is putting this? multi-millionaire hedge fund guy right. out of business. Right. Like, how does that even work? I understand how it works because I've read up and understood. But again, I think people watching the movie, it, there's a disconnect there. And it's like, it's hard to feel, it's hard to understand the impact on either side if you don't understand what's triggering one or the other. And I think that's, I never, I never feel like a, a, a film has to completely do a top to bottom education on no. every topic it wants to share. No. But this is a film that I think kind of depends on it. I mean, I think if you don't buy the concept of what's happening, it's really tough to follow the characters and to feel any emotion for either side of it. Because unlike Next Goal Wins, which I wasn't going into expecting to really learn a lot, or I knew that was going to be a comedy. This one I kind of went into with the expectation of, no, this is, I'm going to learn a little something. And there may be some funny stuff, but it's more about learning how this happened and why it happened. And instead, to me, it was treated more kind of like a broad comedy. With yeah. I liked Seth Rogen and, and his portrayal of this guy who, of the hedge fund people they showed, there was Nick Offerman was playing one mm. and Vincent D'Onofrio was playing another one. Um, he was kind of the guy that was the, the least informed or maybe the least right. talented. The other ones yeah. were much more well off and he was – in there on their side, but yeah, he was kind of the one that was a little bit more taken surprise and ended up losing. 
a lot more. Right. It's the one you kind of felt a little sympathy for. But again, if I had known, if I think if they explained the mechanics a little bit better, I probably wouldn't have had that sympathy. Cause it's sure. like, this just seems like a guy who's like, all right, I made a business decision. And now the entire internet is like <laughs> plotting against me and I'm going to be bankrupt, you know? Right. But then again, you know, when you hear him talk to his wife and it's like, well, how much money did we lose today? He's like, well, like a billion. I'm like, oh, you lost a billion dollars, right. but you're still good. But they lost a billion dollars. It's like, right. all right, how am I supposed to feel about that? Because sure. I don't have any background knowledge of how this guy, right. anything about him. So is this something I should feel bad for him? Or is this something I should be like, yeah, good for you, man. Stick it to you. You lost a billion dollars. Well, I, don't I think know. that's the shortcoming of the film. And I think I wanted to like this film more. Of course, I always want to like every film I watch. You know, I don't want to just watch a film to tear it down. And I thought it was okay. But yeah, you, like you're saying, it's like they just, it's more about being funny and creating that mob mentality of, oh yeah, let's just watch these guys lose a bunch of money. Yeah. And the cutting the scenes together, them all like freaking out about them. Well, specifically Seth Rogen's character yeah. freaking out and conversely showing the dumb money people, the retail investors showing them getting all excited about all the money. And it's like the movie really devalues itself <laughs> like the stock mm. um, because all it is, is becoming more base where I was yeah. wanting something. They right. were dumbing down dumb money. I think you described right there. More they put this, so. they made this whole story into a very base level, good versus bad. These people are good. These people are bad. You want to see these people celebrate victory. You want to see these people lose. Okay. That's fine. That's a formula that has worked for movies and stories for centuries. But this film needed more than that. I think to really work. I think it can't just be a, everybody that's watching on a computer screen are good people and you need to cheer for them because they're making money. And everybody who's uh, sitting in a giant mansion, sipping champagne and eat, <laughs> eating, luxurious food and playing tennis you got to pull against okay right. well i need a little more nuance than that to understand why you know why am i yeah i need i need to know why a little bit more so i was kind of shocked too when you have unlike again keep going back to next goal wins but to me they're both based on true stories so there is that plot of com or thing of comparison that had one actor michael fassbender who said that was one of the reasons you were excited about it this, the cast list on this film was insane. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, America Ferrara, Vincent D'Onofrio. We've already talked about Seth Rogen, Nick Offerman. Anthony Ramos was in it as well. Sebastian Stan yeah. um, plays somebody that works, or one of the founders of Robin Hood, um, which is an app, which I knew that little bit too about. See, that's the thing, like, not, I, I knew very little about, I knew the surface details. My son told me when I walked by his room and he told me like in a minute what was going on. Yeah. I felt like this film basically did the same thing. <laughs> like, Oh, here's Robin Hood. Here's how they're doing it. Oh, okay. That's true. But then like, okay, how, what was that app set up to do? What is And I like, I get it, but like, there's so much more potential. Well, look, here's the thing. Somebody who doesn't know anything about the stock market and somebody who doesn't know anything about Robin Hood as an app, yeah, it, this movie is not going to make any sense to anybody. <laughs> all you're going to know is good people making money, bad people losing money. That's all I know. Right. And again, I just don't think that's enough. You know, a couple other actors uh, you were mentioning, uh, uh, we had, um, oh gosh, Shailene Woodley yeah. plays uh, you know, the wife of uh, our main character. We've got uh, Dane DeHaan, who, which I did not even recognize for the longest time. I was trying which to figure out. He's been gone for a while. Yeah. yeah. But also the fact that he's behind a mask, you know, because this is during pandemic time, it takes place. But yeah, and he, uh, 
it was interesting performance because I, I hadn't seen him in a while sure. and did not recognize him until about two thirds of the way through the movie and figured out who it was. Right. Um, so yeah, the cast list is great. Although many of the cast, I mean, shot their stuff probably in a day or two, you know, True. from one location. True. That's the, 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 that's the convenience of a film like this. And when you're showing people from all around the country all on the internet, the sure. you just need to get them in their one location, their one scene for a couple of days and you get everything you need and you just blend them all together. And you're able to show all this montages of different people from different places. I like it. I mean, I like that format that works for me. I like the variety of characters we saw, but again, I, I just think the film needed to do a little more. Well, and I, you know, I felt I, like, I, yeah, when they were showing the hedge fund side of things, with you know, okay, I felt like that was clear enough. Mm. The Robin Hood side, I felt like that was a little less clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they were there and they were an important part, but like they demonized Sebastian Stan's character, but the other co-founder, you don't really get a sense of like, you know, he was obviously an intelligent dude, but like, is he less evil than the one they make out to be right. the evil one? <laughs> like, well, I mean, and then even with the like, Sebastian, okay. the, the Robin Hood guys in general, it's like, okay, so why are we supposed to know they're evil? <laughs> Right. I mean, seriously, I asked, really, because I hear the concept of the Robin Hood app, which I, I do know about, and I understand how it works. It sounds like it's a good thing right. on paper. Because like, my kids invest in Robin Hood. They use the Robin Hood app. Right. It's a great way for people who don't have thousands and thousands of dollars. They just want to put $10 in and $20 in and invest and get a part of the stock market. Sounds like a pretty good deal. And we're given some little glimpses of information of why maybe Robin Hood's not good but it's never really clearly laid out right. why we're not supposed to like these guys and maybe that's because that's a movie all on its own maybe it's all like a documentary about but Robin instead Hood, but i think the film did was a little lazy and just saying i'm just going to give you a scene where these guys kind of flounder in an interview and kind of say some things that sound a little uh a little devious and a little evil and we're going to make insinuations that they're bad and that's all you need to know right is that they're they're just they're bad. That's all you need. <laughs> they're viewer, gloss over the stuff. viewer sure. just needs to know that they're bad and that's it. And I'm sorry. It's just not enough to make this film work as well as it could. So um, when I felt like they were in one sense, I felt like they were also kind of generalizing the type of people that were investing in game stock yeah. and okay. And I understand they can't show everybody that was investing. Cause that's the whole point. There were lots of people, but I felt like they actually took on in a way one too many examples the GameStop employee, I could see that because it's like that way you got an insight to what was happening at the store itself. A little bit, so not enough, not but enough, a little but bit. This, yeah. So that investor understood. The other one that I, I liked was the American Ferrara who plays yeah. a nurse. Yeah. So it was kind of like giving you a little bit of like, okay, this time period wise, because it was the whole vaccine and the, the COVID and everything. But you saw from her perspective how what she was trying to do. So it kind of, and then of course you have Keith Gill, the guy who, you know, roaring kitty, which was his roaring on kitty, skin. Yeah. So you have those three, but the ones that, that irritated me actively irritated the me college students were the college students, because yeah. I like, I actually kind of got annoyed at them. Like I was getting annoyed at the hedge. Like they wanted you to get annoyed at Seth Rogen's rich guy, mm-hmm. because these kids just seem to be very like surface or whatever. And they do try to at one point kind of, you know, after the movie's kind of winding down a little bit and they try to show you how some of the investors were hurt, some of the mm. dumb money people were hurt. And she goes on this thing about her father and like his business. And I'm like, yeah, but that's a little too late for me because mm. they'd already kind of, every time they were on screen, I kind of rolled my eyes. So I, I, I can, I definitely can hear that. I, that did, 
they didn't bother me as much because I, I at least liked the fact that there was a little more variety. It wasn't all just downtrodden people that were in like really uh, tough parts of their lives trying to trying to climb back out because that's kind of what we got with the GameStop employee and True. we got with the America for the two college students is kind of like yeah they're in a lot of debt because they're going to a really nice big college they're sure. getting a great education they're going to have good careers whenever they get out of school I'm pretty sure so I, I didn't mind showing two people that were kind of blase about it it's like oh let's just invest for fun let's just do this and see what we get oh my gosh we made some money and now let's sell it okay great we made money i was okay with that because i didn't want to be just all the all the good people that we see are these are are all just people we're supposed to feel sympathetic for i mean i i didn't mind the college students being ones i'm like oh yeah just random people are just investing too i'll say okay but i got that from yeah, if I if I were to totally delete them from the film, I still got that from still the got outcome the, yeah. of some of the other yeah, people okay. because not everybody walks away from this thing. Not all the dumb money people walk away right. with a lot of money. Not all of them do. I, I, I did so. like the conceit, the uh, showing the net worth of each person. Yes, yeah. I thought it was kind of a clever way of saying, look, here's where we started, yeah, and here's where they are now at the end. And it was a great way of like not just saying you know, uh, giving me some title card of like, well, this person did this, this, and this, and this at the end. It's like, nope, here's their net worth at the beginning of the movie. And now here's their net worth now. And this is because of the actions they took or didn't take at the end of the movie. I I, I thought that was kind of a, I mean, obviously a movie so focused on money and finances. That's a great way to give me that beginning and end point for each character and kind of visually show that. One thing too, that I've heard some detractors uh, talk about uh, for the movie was that, even though this was very, it was a movement that was pushed forward by social media, mm-hmm. by, you know, like chat rooms or by like web uh, chat rooms on Reddit or whatever, like, you know, stuff like that helped push it forward. Mm-hmm. I felt like in TikTok, I felt like at times that got to be a little like cluttered and didn't really add anything to the movie and actually got annoying. But maybe that's the whole point is like, the noise ratio of all social media, like when things were happening and how they were like saying all these terms of like, you know, hold, but hold is misspelled on purpose. And like all these like memes and stuff, it kind of got, it didn't add anything. It took away, Mm -hmm. but there again, maybe that's the whole point is the noise of social media kind of adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. I, I, I think this is a movie that, I mean, the movie felt very packed and full of things and busy but I felt like this is a movie that didn't do enough. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I, I think that you probably could have trimmed out some of the secondary characters, some of those other people, like you mentioned, if you want to trim out the college students, you want to trim out a couple, maybe one or two of the quote bad guys, <laughs> their side, you know, it just kind of thin down the number of characters, but then really spend a little more time explaining why we're supposed to feel the way we do and why certain actions are going to have certain ramifications on certain people. Sure. That would be helpful. I think that would make this, the movie a little more successful at the end of the day. Um, I, you know, they did show at the end of the film, you do get to see some real life footage of many of the characters from the film. Right. I was actually, look, it's, it was surprising to me. I feel like um, for my age, my, my age and where I am in life, I do spend a fair amount of time on the internet. I, tend to feel like I'm pretty up on internet culture and what's happening out there. But yeah, I'd never seen or heard of roaring Roaring kitty and seeing his videos at the end, the real character. I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. This actually like 
was pretty spot on. Like not only congressional testimony, all the things. I'm like, no, this this yeah, is yeah. this is pretty spot on. So I give it that credit for that. That was good. Yeah. It just it needed more. It needed more sharing and explaining. Not too too much, but just enough <laughs> to at least help me understand the dynamics of why we're supposed to feel the way we do. Sure. And why these characters' actions was going to have the ramifications it was going to have on other characters. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of where I am with it. So, okay. Um, but overall, it was uh, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I say that, but it was fine. It right. Was right. I mean, you know, they're not. A, but we're, I like at least that we're not tearing them down as terrible movies. Neither. No, know. no, it's not a terrible movie. Again, I, if this movie's on, and you know, I'm. Somewhere I'll I'll watch parts of it. I'll see some of it again. There's some moments I liked. Yeah, I'll give it this much. Uh, I have been on record on this show with my um, lack of of total admiration for Pete Davidson ah. as an actor. Well, we haven't mentioned he's, him. Yet. He's playing Pete Davidson. He is playing prototype, <laughs> stereotypical Pete Davidson. Yeah, kind of look- st- stoner. Foul mouth. Hey, yeah. he played it fine. I mean, it was good. He played his part fine. I, yeah. I, I did like some of the uh, the humor involved with his DoorDash job, which I oh, thought was kind of funny. Yeah. So, uh, um, I, I did, I did like that that part. That okay. added just enough. And Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, getting to see him play a character that I've never seen him play before, yeah. a very different type of character than we used to seeing for him, which was good and fun too. I, it was a tease for me because he's featured in the preview and he's in the movie, but. I wanted more Nick Offerman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I you know, and I was glad, like you did, is he probably filmed his stuff in a day. I think each of these characters, <laughs> I think every actor outside of Paul Dano probably had like a couple of days filming, maybe, right. to do their scenes. Because yeah, you, it's, it's an ensemble piece where you've got probably 12 different characters we're following at any time. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a short screen time for most people. Sure. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's Dumb Money. It is available online right now for rental or purchase. So you can see it anytime you'd like. Um, only because we're approaching the holiday seasons. And I know I get recommendations about films to see. Sure. This is not one for the family. It is a lot more extreme language you know than in- I expected it to you know be. It's um, interesting. Because yeah. you know, I know we're wrapping up, but I yeah. do want to comment on that. Um, early on, the music choices oh, that yeah. were used. And my wife was like, wow. I'm like, well, you know, I wonder if they're doing some of that because otherwise this is going to be a PG 13 movie and they want to gear it towards like, make it more, you know, cool. The, the songs so they, are using very explicit language, oh, yeah. like right in the beginning. And right right the from the get go. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if that was like, I, I can't help but think that was a, an intentional choice to make stuff Could a little be. so it's skewed more. Well, and again, it's just peppering in as many, as much profanity as you can throughout the movie. I'm just saying it is harsh on the language sure, side, but absolutely. Uh, again, I don't feel like I'm, we're not trying to play parents here and tell people. <laughs> no. I just, I know a lot of times people listen to reviews to see, Oh, Hey, the films we could watch over holiday season with family. I'm like, Oh, this one, maybe just keep for the, for the grownups, uh, right. for the adult ones. But, um, yeah. but it's an interesting story. Sure. I'm glad they made a movie about it. I do feel like I understand the story a little bit better than I did going in. I just wish it had gone an extra, mo- a little extra, couple extra steps with the explanation, and uh, being not so not so cut and dry on the good and bad 
side of the coin. I sure. need a little more understanding of the nuances between these groups. So, and yeah. I apparently just need to break down and go to Wikipedia and learn about shorting stocks because that yeah. apparently I can't rely on Hollywood to tell me what it it's means. a tough concept. <laughs> I mean, it's a tough concept. That's why they make a whole movie called the big short uh-huh. about it. And they spend a third of the movie sitting down and explaining things to you because it is a complicated, complicated. concept. It's just that this movie does depend on you knowing that to really understand the story. And it's, it's tough that it didn't really give us enough with that. So yeah. Got you. All right. That is dumb money. Um, and that is our second review. That was all we had lined up for today, Chris. So kind of feel weird ending the show after a review. Cause we normally talk about other stuff, but True. we had a lot to say about both of these two films, which is good. I'm glad we had good reviews of those next goal wins. I think we definitely came out of the two much more positive on that film. And that one's a, a good one, a, a good time to have that we, we enjoyed dumb money. Uh, serviceable film that works at some level, but really miss some opportunities to make it something good and could have been a lot better for sure. So, uh, Chris, if anybody has some thoughts on these two films, they've seen them, they want to challenge us on our opinions. They want to have a a spirited debate about either of the two of them. Cause I feel like there's probably going to be more spirited debate about these films out there. Uh, how can they get a hold of us to do that? You can do all of that or maybe explain to me in a short email what shorting is. Oh, explain uh, in a short email the yes. yeah, concept of yeah. shorting. Yes. Right. Good. Uh, info, you can run an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Facebook, we're a footcandle film society. Instagram, threads, we're just simply footcandlefilm. Alan and I are on Letterboxd. That's Letterboxd without that final E where we try to track what we're seeing and leave quick takes. Do us a favor. Uh, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on because that'll help us reach new listeners and we'd appreciate it. Last but not least, Alan did kind of mention that one of the things we're co-founders of is the Foot Candle Film Festival. It'll be September 20th through 28th, the 28th in 2024. So I know that's a long way off, but if you're a filmmaker or a script writer, submissions are now open over on Film Freeway. So go over there and check it out and Try to give us a submission. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we will look forward to talking to everybody next time we get together. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.